One of the readings that this sermon is based off of is Exodus chapter 24. The covenant confirmed. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. This is the word of the Lord. And the one of the other texts that this homily is based off of is Matthew chapter 26, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, lead us closely to listen to your word, and to be obedient to it. Amen. Amen. Planning a wedding is way more difficult than it should be. Thinking back to when my wife and I were planning our wedding, I can remember multiple instances of anxiety and nervousness because of the planning process. No longer can we just have a cake and punch reception in the church narthex or the fellowship hall. No, now it is expected, regardless of your social class, to have a large party planned out months in advance with lots and lots of food and alcohol for everybody. And more often than not, these extravagant balls tend to place the focus on impressing the guest and pleasing mothers and mothers-in-laws. What color will that be? Where will the DJ stand be? How high is the cake going to be? What flavor of cake will be? 
Now naturally, both the bride and the groom, they want to please one another as well as one another's family, especially one another's mothers. But there's one thing that will eternally be of issue to all weddings and parties since God created the universe and will continue to be a problem until Jesus comes back. Who's invited? I cannot tell you how many hours my wife and I spent drawing circles on a piece of paper and then writing in, erasing, and writing in again the guest list and the seating charts for our wedding. Very quickly, you compile an A-list, the parents, of course, the brothers and sisters, grandma and grandpa, and then there's the B-list, your fiancé's friends that he or or she thinks is important to him or her, but you get nervous thinking about paying $50 ahead for their food alone that night. And finally, the C-list. People, mom wants to come, but you'd be okay with not coming. In the Old Testament text today, God had to make one of these lists. First, he says that Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel, they get to come up and worship, but only Moses is on the A-list, enough to come near to Yahweh himself. And then all the people of Israel, they they do something beautiful. They, They agree to something called a covenant with God. They say that they will do everything that Yahweh has commanded them and will command of them. I don't know if you've ever promised God or a random person to be perfect, but it usually doesn't work out too well. Even these Hebrews, eight chapters later, are going to be worshiping a golden calf. But when they agree to this covenant, Moses, what he does is he spatters the altar and all the people with sacrificial blood. And what this does is now they're cleansed and they're able to go before Yahweh. However, only the A-list and the B-list get to go up. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. They go up and they see the God of Israel. They don't see Yahweh because no one's ever seen his face and lived, yet they see God. It says. People might argue that they're seeing the pre incarnate Jesus here. And it remarks something interesting. It says that God does not lay a hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, they simply behold God. They bask in his presence and they eat and they drink. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? They intended to be cleansed of their sin ceremonially through the Old Covenant in order to worship him this way. So, fast forward to the time of Christ. Jesus has come down to earth to eat and drink with the chosen people again. But this time, he's blamed for eating and drinking with sinners. C-listers. He finds a place for his chosen followers to have a banquet with him for Passover, but Passover will be different this year and will, in fact, change forever after this night. 
You see, tonight he will be betrayed. He will follow his father's plan all the way to death on a cross. Before tonight is over, as he predicts during this meal, he will be betrayed gravely by one and deserted by all the others. When he goes to the cross, he will even be left alone by his father who sent him to accomplish this task, forsaken. But first, he takes the bread, and after blessing it, breaks it and gives it to his closest disciples and says, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he takes the cup, he gives thanks, and gives it to them and says, Drink of it, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Like the old covenant of Moses in the Old Testament text, This blood poured out for many will cover the sins of many, the sins of these disciples, but also will wash these sins away, but for good this time, not just temporarily. All that suffering and death will happen, and soon. But first, these chosen, these twelve set-apart chief men of the people of Israel— They simply behold their God. They bask in his glory and they eat and they drink a feast. Now, after instituting the supper, Jesus says something cryptic. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. His disciples are probably like, he's not going to have communion again with us, his chosen people, until some time far off in the future, in some place that he's been talking about, his Father's kingdom. What does he mean? Well, little do they know, even though Jesus has told them over and over again, I mean, really, he is referring to the coming of his Father's kingdom with Christ's own death and resurrection. He will break bread with them again. But I'm sure those three days felt like forever for the disciples. Three whole days without being in the presence of their God, eating and drinking. If you took communion on March 15th, then presumably, if you've remained worshiping at home, you have not taken communion at church for over 25 days now. Some of you have taken it in a more private way, but uh, not as a church community altogether like we usually do on Sundays. We are taught in confirmation class, whether as young people or in adulthood, that the Lord's Supper gives us a bunch of different things. It gives us forgiveness of sins, life, salvation through Christ's words. In it, we receive these things as well as confess that we believe, what we believe alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ at the communion rail. But as a confirmation student recently interjected in class just a few weeks ago. She said, if we get all of those things, then we ought to be doing it more often then, shouldn't we? But we can't. We simply cannot. 
Even tonight, on our church's remembrance of the first institution of the sacrament. All of a sudden, we don't feel like we're on the A-list that I was talking about, or the B-list even. But thank God, Jesus left his will. When someone leaves a will, the epistle reads today, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Under the old system, in the Old Testament reading, say, the blood of goats and bulls and the uh, ashes of a heifer were used to cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. So just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify us from the sinful deeds so that we can worship a living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised him. For Christ died to set us free from the penalty of the sins we've committed under that first covenant. Matter of fact, even all the chosen disciples in attendance at that Last Supper which were, we are celebrating tonight, they were and still are waiting for a feast bigger and better than even the bread they broke together in that locked room or on the road to Emmaus after Christ's resurrection. It's the final marriage feast of the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, who is Christ Jesus. The grand marriage feast between the groom Jesus and the bride, us, the church. A new and greater table fellowship will be restored, and many will come and join the patriarchs there, as Jesus says earlier in Matthew. The voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, will cry out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And the fine linen on the tables, they'll be the righteous deeds of the saints. All those who are saved will be there, for they're invited. Uh, your mom, your dad, your spouse, Emperor Constantine, Martin Luther, Bach, they're all going to be there. And here's the kicker. Do you know that? Do you know what the angel tells John in Revelation when he sees this feast? He says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that means, blessed are you. If you are baptized and believe on Jesus as Lord, then you are invited to the final marriage feast of the Lamb. You are a list. You are a chosen people. This 
is the communion that we, Moses, Abraham, the disciples, and Jesus have been looking forward to and continue to look forward to, and it brings us great joy. So, as the psalmist writes, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. If you could please...